you have your Bible and you want to open up to the book of John, that's where we'll be tonight. Um, if you want to turn over there, uh, all of our passages will be on the slides, but if you want to follow along with me as we jump through John here in a few moments, uh, that's where we'll be. Uh, when you go to the movies, my assumption is you know when to leave by when the credits roll. I mean, that seems pretty obvious, right? You go to a movie, you sit down, you watch it, and when the movie, when the credits roll, you think this is over. Uh, I don't know when this first started, but something that seems to be more popular now is a, a post-credit scene. So if you're like a superhero movie guy or girl, uh, something that happened really, I don't know when it first originated, but around 2008, at least with Marvel movies, you know, the credits will roll, the movie's over, so you think, and you wait about 30 seconds, and the movie starts back up. And you get a 15 to 30, maybe 45-second scene, and then the credits roll again. And then if you're really strong-willed, and you wait the entire credits out, and you read every, you don't have to read every name, but if you wait the entire time, there's another scene. And that's become more popular. So instead of after your two-hour movie, instead of sprinting to the bathroom after you bought a $17 Coke, you wait an extra five, ten minutes for a scene or two. Now, sometimes these scenes are just humorous. You know, they're funny. There's uh, Sometimes the scenes introduce a new character for the next film. There's like a teaser. And so people go to the movies, and you'll see this right, with some with some type of films. They will sit there. And there is a post-credit scene that adds to the story. Now imagine if you watched that post-credit scene without seeing the whole movie. It would make no sense to you. Um, and that's what we're looking at tonight because in the Gospel of John, I think there's what we might call a post-credit scene. You start reading the book of John and John has a purpose that we'll look at in a moment for why he writes the Gospel to get people to believe in what Jesus has done through his signs and he gets to the end of chapter 20, and he makes this statement, and it's like John is saying, okay, and movie's over, and scene. And then chapter 21, while we know John didn't have chapter separations in his gospel, that's man-made later on, it's almost like the credits roll, and then we get picked back up with the story. And tonight what I would like to do is look at that post credit scene, because what we find is a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And I believe that scene can really encourage us, and it can mean a lot to us when we understand why it's there. And so tonight, we're going to look at the story of Peter. Uh, this is not a big point tonight. There's really one kind of encouraging thought for us at the end of this, and it's going to take us a few moments to get there. But listen, if you've ever felt like giving up Christianity, and if you've ever felt tired or felt like your sin or failure should make you, uh, that you should quit or you've been tempted to give up, or just feel like maybe I'm not very good at this disciple thing and I could go do something else, I think you could take a lot out of this conversation. And you can take a lot out of this scene. And so uh, we're going to flip through the story of Peter and John. And you might think, okay, we're going to be here for a while if we're going to look at every Peter passage in the book of John. But here's the thing. Peter's not mentioned in the Gospel of John like he is the other Gospels. Peter is not a main character. It's a different purpose in John's gospel. He's only mentioned six or seven times, and that might shock you. You'll see it here in a few moments. But it's because John was trying to show the signs of Jesus and how they lead to people having faith in his name. So when Peter's mentioned, it's not very often, but it's for a specific purpose. 
And I want to look at that tonight. And so you can follow along in your Bibles as we start in John chapter 1 and verse 40. Or you can look at the screen because when we're first introduced to, to Peter, uh, we see that he's invited to Jesus to follow Jesus from his brother. In John chapter 1 verse 40 and 40, uh, through 42, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, being Peter, and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so that's how Peter comes to be introduced, according to John. Not a lot of details there, because John's got a bigger, bigger purpose in his writing. I know we would all like to know, what made you follow this guy just like that? What more was there to it? There had to be something. But all we know is, Andrew brings his brother. He comes to see Jesus. He claims he's the Christ. And Jesus gives this man a new name. And that's how it starts. And then you don't read about Peter for five chapters. He just falls out of the story. You pick up with Jesus' signs and his, uh, these proofs of how he's the fulfillment of all these things in the Old Testament and, and else. And then you pick up in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69 is when you see Peter next. Now before we read this passage, this is after Jesus has fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. I would assume many of you are familiar with that story. Uh, he has filled the people's bellies, and then the next day, he comes back to these people. They're still there, and he starts to speak to them, and he says things like, I am the bread of life. You know, I've just fed you with bread. I'm the bread of life. And many of the people didn't like what Jesus was saying, according to John. There's some back and forth there, some disagreement, some confusion. And what you find is many of the people who were there for the miracle and who were there to be fed didn't have as much interest in being spiritually fed by Jesus. In fact, um, it says many of them went away, which leads us to this verse in 66, chapter 6, verse 66. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? You know, do you want to leave me too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So all these people are leaving. It's like, hey, I'll take the food, but I don't really want the spiritual food you're giving me. I want lowercase b bread. I don't want the capitalized b bread that you're, you're giving to me. And so Jesus sees a response, and it's like he just turns to his closer 12 for a second and says, Hey, are you going to do the same thing? Do you have similar feelings? Are you here for similar interests? And we dog on Peter sometimes for being quick, right? For uh, We say he speaks without thinking, right? You ever, you ever do that yourself? Being impetual, or sorry, impetual, impetuous, just here's what I think about it. And we, we sometimes say, you know, that's a weakness with Peter. It's also a strength of his at times, depending on what comes out of his mouth, <laughs> Some of those things in our life, right? They're a gift and a curse, can't they? Um, but he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Doesn't that sound like you that Peter gets it? You know, hey, you're the only one who can give to us the true words of God. We have believed in you. We recognize who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And so he gets it. And I, I just, we share that with you because as we follow this story, you start to get an idea of his personality, and what his faith is like. And then, in John fashion, Peter's dropped, dropped from the story. 
And he's not mentioned for a while until John chapter 13. If you look at John chapter 13, this is in the setting of the upper room. So we're getting closer to Jesus's, um, I guess, the, the passion week or this this big moment in his life of being betrayed and tried, you know, arrested, crucified, all of that. And he spends this time in an upper room for four chapters in the book of John with the Twelve, having some very important moments with them uh, before he would leave them. And it says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? This is when Jesus is about to pull out the towel and become a servant or more of a servant and wash all of these men's feet. And he says, so, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Right? Hey, there's, there's impetuous Peter again. You know, just quick. And, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Wouldn't you say something similar, by the way? If you believe that man to be the king of everything, the holy one, the fulfilled Messiah, the Savior, wouldn't you say, hey, I think I'll wash your feet instead. Let me do the, the serving. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have to let me do this, Peter. I'm giving you an example that's going to mean something to you later on in this life. I'm trying to show you something. And impetual Peter, you know, he's funny, he's good, he's bad. He he completely does a 180. Uh, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Lord, okay, fine, give me a bath. I don't know. Hey, if you have to wash me for me to be amongst you, um, to share with you, go ahead. You know, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my feet. And so... That's Peter. Here's more about Peter at the end of chapter 13 in verse 36 through 38. Same chapter says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because this is another time where Jesus starts to reveal, I'm I'm going to leave you. I won't always be here with you and and I'm going to leave you guys. And he says, Lord, Lord, what do you mean? Where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. That's Peter, right? Just, no, I will give it all. And I really want you to to remember that statement. Because that statement means a lot in the conversation we're going to look at here in a few moments. God, I will give it all for you. I will lay down my life. I will sacrifice I would do anything for you. I would die for you. You know, sometimes we talk about, I would die for you, Jesus. Well, how about first, let's start with, would we live for him? But he says, God, I'll give, I'll die for you. And Jesus responds with, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And truly, truly, in that day and age, just is like an overemphasization of a word. It's like saying truly, like if you... You talked to your little grandkid. I love you. That's what he said. Truly, the rooster, uh, I say to you, the rooster will, will not crow but three times. Or, will, sorry, the rooster will crow until you have denied me three times. Um, and so, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus is like, we'll see. We will see. And he drops out of the story in John's gospel. And he picks it back up in John 18 where we start to see the denials. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Uh, But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. 
And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. You skip a few verses down in chapter 18 to verse 25 through 27. It says, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and so they said to him, Hey, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. I, I kind of find that a little humorous, don't you? It's like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' guy? I'm pretty sure my cousin's ear's off because of you. <laughs> it's like, I think that's you. you. In fact, you match the description. I don't know how he knew, but it's like, I think you cut off my relative's ear. But he says, did I not see you in the garden with him? Well, he did. But Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And do you know what Peter's reaction was at the moment the rooster cried? Just bald. He just starts crying and he, he runs. And so you have a Peter who says, hey, I will sacrifice. I'll lay down my life. And then we don't necessarily know the time frame, but not very long after that, he denies him three times. I want you to imagine the last memory that you have of talking with Jesus was him saying, was you saying, I will lay down my life for you. And then the last moment you have with him is you denying him three times. Can you imagine living with that disappointment in yourself and that kind of guilt? Because that is the last scene we have of Peter and Jesus, really, until Jesus has been crucified. So, as Peter scampers and the disciples scamper during the crucifixion, not only are you sad because you've lost a friend and a brother and your rabbi and the person that you believe is the Messiah, the king of everything, but then also knowing he's dying, going to a cross, and the last memory that he has with me is of me denying him, not fulfilling my words. Would that eat at you? Absolutely. But of course, Jesus resurrects. And in John fashion, we pick back up in John chapter 20, where you have Mary who goes to the tomb while it's still dark in the first 10 verses of chapter 20. And she sees the stone has been taken away from the tomb. It says, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So you have Peter, and I believe it's John, who sprint to the tomb. And it says, in stooping to look in, John looks in. He sees the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. And who's the one to just sprint right in out of all the apostles? Peter. I mean, this is, that's the guy, right? I'll say things first without thinking. I, I'm just going. Also think about, hey, if there's any chance this guy might be alive again, I have something I need to tell him or talk to him about. And so he goes right in and he sees the cloth lying there. And it says, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And that says they went back to their home. So I don't know if they understand the resurrection just yet. It's, you know, we look at it from 2,000 years later and say, well, he told you over and over again he was going to go away and he was going to be risen from the dead. But 
You know, there's a lot of things Jesus said that they didn't understand. It's like he speaks in parables. I don't get it all the time. And we still struggle to understand some of his sayings. And yet here it's, they're seeing the cloth there, but they, they maybe don't get it just yet. But maybe there's a glimmer of hope. And here's what I find very interesting. Jesus starts to appear. It says he appears and acts for a, a period of 40 days to, to people. Not like he was there and lived for 40 days every hour with them, but he appears on and off again, it seems, for 40 days. And it says in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. By the way, pause. We call Thomas what? He gets a bad rap because he's not here in this situation, and the rest are, and they see the very same things to believe. They're all really the same in a way. And so, picking back up though, it says, The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And here's what I find most interesting about this setting. Besides Thomas, you have the disciples there with Jesus as he's resurrected. And I just want to know, what was Peter acting like when he was around Jesus for the first time after he's been resurrected? Part of me wonders if he is standing like his ex-girlfriend is in the room. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a room with someone you got in a fight with? Or you've really let down and you don't have the courage to go talk to them about it yet? You know, like maybe Peter's just kind of like a, got, got a glass of grape juice just kind of listening. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's just, it's awkward maybe. You know, or maybe he wants to talk to him about what's happened or transpired. Or maybe they did talk and we don't know it. But I, I wish you knew what was said. But we get nothing. And then... Here's what John does. He ends it. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose statement of John. That's the purpose for his whole writing. And it's almost like when he says this, it is credits. The movie is over. I have given you all the evidence And that is the purpose, and now you read this, reader, you and I, and you have to believe based off the testimony you've been given. And it has everything you need to come to believe, but the human in me and you says, but I want to know what happened with Peter. And thank goodness God let John pick back up and finish that story. You find that Peter is out on a boat fishing. There's a few other guys with him. I don't know why he's fishing. Part of me wonders if uh, he's thinking about quitting. You know, Peter, before Jesus, was a fisherman, and his daddy was a fisherman, and that's what they were good at. Ironically, when Jesus is around Peter when he fishes, Peter catches nothing. But part of me wonders, you know, I'm not very good at this disciple thing. The last time, the last thing I ever did was fail miserably in front of God. And so maybe I'll go back to being a fisherman. And then Jesus walks upon a shore, and they don't know it. And he says, hey, cast your net on the right side of your boat. And they cast, and there's tons and tons of fish. And impetual Peter realizes who it is. He strips off his garment and just jumps in the water and swims. He's like, forget trying to row the boat to shore. I'm just going to swim there, because that's who Peter is. And you find this conversation that I want to share, just a small thought with you. 
And if you'll read with me this conversation between Jesus and Peter while they had breakfast, starting in verse 15 of John 21, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referencing the fish. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. This conversation over breakfast... I love that Christians tend to meet over food. The disciples did, we do. There's a biblical precedence for it right there. But they had this conversation. And in this conversation, I believe, with this conversation with Jesus is convicting, it's compassionate, and it's challenging all in one. There's a bunch of little lessons you could pull out of here. I mean, it's convicting. Three times, Jesus asked the same question. Did you see it? I'm sure you heard it. He said, Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Referencing the fish. Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter is grieved on which question? The third one. In in our head, why do we think Peter was grieved on the third one? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. That has to be fresh on his mind. So for him to ask three times, it's like Jesus is trying to convict me of something. Or maybe make a point out of this. Uh, And so... He says the third time, do you love me? He's grieved. But there is something in the original language here that makes this passage mean even more. I know most people don't care about what the Greek word is. um, But I'll share it with you because it means a lot here. As this conversation happens, there's different words for love. And here's how this conversation goes. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Which means... Peter, do you self-sacrificially love me? Do you, are you all in? Do you really want what's best for me? Are you all in for me? And Peter replies with, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Which means, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And the second time, it's the same thing. Simon, do you agape me? And he says, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And the third time, the time he's grieved... He says, Simon, do you love me like a brother? He says, yeah, you know I love you like a brother. I I guess this is the first instance of being friend-zoned we ever read in the Bible, if you understand what that means. It's like he wants Peter to love him all the way, to, to give his whole life for him, to be all in for him, and Peter will not say it back. It's like he won't say, I love you the same way back. Um. Why won't he say it? Why won't you just say, I agape you? It's probably because he feels like he has no right to. How can I tell God I love him with every fiber of my being, that I'm willing to risk it all, to lay it all on the line, when not very long before then, I did not do that. I said I'd laid down my life for him before, and right after that, I denied him three times. 
And now you're asking me if I love you, willing to sacrifice for you, to give it all. How can I say I agape you back? Would that not be convicting to you if you were Peter? There's a part of this conversation where Peter had to be convicted of his failures. Not that Jesus was having this conversation to say, hey, look where you failed. But he's trying to make a point out of this. But it's convicting. And it makes me think about, do you ever struggle with that yourself? Of, you know, I love you, Jesus, but you think about all the ways in which you fail him and fall short. Like, I love you, God, but you also think about all the, all the other things that you struggle to love, too, in this world. It's like, can I really say those things? Can I really make that claim with how I fall short? And this part of this conversation is convicting, but I believe another part of it is compassionate. I don't believe Jesus is having this moment in conversation with Peter only to remind him of his mistakes. Peter already knew those. I think Jesus is being very purposeful in this moment that he's having with Peter because Peter's going to be used in a big way in the kingdom. Peter's going to be used for his church, to be a missionary, to be a preacher, to be a shepherd. He's going to be used a lot of ways. And so he's using this moment before he sends him out once again. And I think there's a lot of compassion here because I think what he's really doing is he's saying, Peter, you failed. You know, do you love me? I know you feel like you can't say it. But it's almost like what he's saying is, look at me. Peter, look at me. I know you failed, but I'm still right here. I know you're struggling to say you love me this way, but I still love you in that way. And there is compassion in this moment. Yes, it's convicting, but it's equally or more so compassionate that he's taking time and these 40 days to spend this moment with Peter. And of course, it's challenging because every time Peter answers, what does Jesus say? Then tend my sheep or feed my lambs. Peter, I have things for you to do and accomplish. Peter, you might be struggling with this right now and how you've made mistakes in the future but and just everything that's going on. But Peter, I have plans for you. I have purposes for you. I, you're going to preach the first gospel sermon. Peter, you're going to help reach the first Gentile convert. Peter, you're going to be a shepherd in the church according to Peter's writings. Peter, I have so many plans for you. I need you to tend my sheep. There are people out there who are sheep without a shepherd, and I need you to go out there and serve and work for me. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to encourage and motivate and strengthen Peter before he goes out again. The ending there, it's almost like he's saying, Peter, you weren't willing to sacrifice for me then, but you will one day. You might have failed in that chance, but you will get another shot. And I have confidence in you. And here's why I share all of this with you tonight, because I believe there's one encouraging message that you and I can take from this conversation, and it's this. Jesus has not given up on you, so please don't give up on him. When you look at Peter, I wonder if Peter partly thought about giving up. I'm not very good at this disciple thing. I've been following and spending all of this time with Jesus and I've failed in this way and everyone knows it in my, in my circle and he knows it and yet Jesus here says, Jesus here spends time with him, encourages him, is compassionate, sure he's convicting too, 
But Jesus is saying, I still have plans for you. I haven't given up on you, Peter. So, Peter, don't give up on this Christian thing. Don't give up on this being a disciple or an apostle thing. And I think there's a message for you and I in that, isn't there? Do you ever feel like you're not doing this very well? You ever feel like you're not doing the whole Christian thing very well? You ever feel like, you know, there's that sin in my life that I'm really struggling with. I, I'm, I'm trying, but it's hard to get it to go away or go away completely. Do you ever feel like every time you learn more or you start to give more or sacrifice more of your life, you learn about more areas that you need to give and sacrifice? It's like by the time I get one thing under control, I got another thing I realize I need to work on. And it's, sometimes it's overwhelming, and, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can just think, I have done way too much in my past, or I'm not doing this well enough, and I'm just going to, maybe I should stop trying. And if there's anything you can take from this conversation, is that that is, that is the last thing Jesus wants you to do. He's used to seeing people who fail and sin, and he still wants you to walk with him. If he hasn't given up on you, please don't give up on him. I, you know, I know it's a Sunday night crowd. I know some of the story you absolutely know. Um, but I am, and I know you're here on Sunday night. You have everything in the world you could be doing. Watching NFL football, taking a nap, who knows, getting ready for the work week, whatever. But I would imagine just like it is for you and everyone else in this world, it can be kind of tiring sometimes being a Christian when you feel like you're not measuring up. Or sometimes, not every day, but on those rough moments or that little time of life, Maybe it's, you feel like throwing in the towel. Please don't do that. Amen. Don't make a decision on a blue day. That was advice a preacher gave to all of us young preacher students. Never make a decision on a blue day. You know, any preacher can quit on a Monday. Just get the right Monday. That's what they say. Any Christian can quit on the wrong day or the wrong week. Please don't do that. Just because you failed in the past doesn't mean you're a failure or will fail. In that way, just because you have a past, it doesn't have to define you. Who you've been doesn't have to be who you are. How you struggled this week doesn't have to become who you are. Now, who you've been doesn't mean it's who you'll always be. That sin or that struggle in your life or whatever's troubling you, just because you have that now, it, it, it might not always be that way. It doesn't have to always be that way. This is a marathon, not a sprint. It's going to take endurance. And a message for us in this with Peter is, the strongest of people will fail. The strongest of us will sin. All of us have that in common. And Jesus is saying, don't give up. I have plans for you. Tonight, I don't know where you are in your life, um, but I wanted to encourage you that if you're going through a rough season, it could be a sin in your life that you're trying to, to get out of your life. If it's been a hard struggle, that's... You know, we can relate, all of us can relate, I think, to how hard it is to get sin out of our life, even if the sins are vastly different from ours. But don't give up. You're in this for the long haul. Maybe it's the world seems like it's kicking you every time you turn the corner. It's just beating down on you. You know, things that happen in your life, it could be health, it could be with work, it could be with family or people. Don't give up. Even if things don't make sense or you don't know why things are happening, um, don't give up. We have to keep fishing in a way. We've got to just keep going. Finding Nemo, right? Dory said, just keep 
swimming. If you got grandkids, you know, you know that phrase. Just keep Sometimes the best thing we can do is even when we're weak and we don't know how we're going to make it, we just keep trying and we keep walking with Jesus, allowing him to help us. And so tonight, just for all of you, I wanted to encourage you as I encourage myself. He has not given up on us. He died. He gave his life for us because he knew we would fail. As long as there is a cross to look at, there is hope. As long as there is a cross with Jesus on it, as long as he is resurrected, he is still, uh, he is, he has not given up on us. There is hope and there is something to look at and there is something to keep trying and keep striving for. And so I pray that helps you tonight or at least encourages you as you start a new week. Um, tonight, that is the message. And it might be this morning or this morning, uh, you can tell I'm tired. It's this, it's this morning. It might be this evening that you've never even started your walk with Jesus. You're not a Christian. Look, it's not the easiest of walk, but it's a blessed walk. It is the best walk you will start. It is the best choice you will ever make in your life, hands down. We would love to help you make that decision tonight. It might be that you are walking with Jesus, but you feel a little bit like Peter where you kind of want to go fishing for a while. I've thought about just hanging it up. I've, I've thought about, is this really worth it? Or maybe I'm not good at it. If that's you, can we encourage you tonight? Can you just, if you're willing to admit that, can you let us hug you and tell you, hey, we've been right there with you. At least let us pray with you. Or maybe that's a private thing. Would you find somebody and let them know and let them pray with you? Um, Maybe life's got you down. You're going through trials of some kind. Uh, We would love to pray or encourage you. But if you have a need tonight, uh, come now while we stand and while we sing.